Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Hey, South Valley, I'm here with my daughter, Blake Aubrey. We're getting ready for one more quick getaway, and then I'm back in the pulpit next weekend. Last week, though, we kicked off our new Summer of Psalms series. Marcus did an incredible job. We got to celebrate baptisms from SBA, salvations from SBA, and now today to preach for us. We have a special guest. Tell us about it. Today, Seth Kurtz is preaching Psalm 19. Will you help me welcome Seth to the stage? Well, hey, hey, good morning, South Valley. Thank you, Ricky and Blake. Uh, So yeah, like they said, we just started a brand new sermon series last week, and uh, Marcus did a phenomenal job kicking us off. Can we we thank Marcus for, uh, oh man, for a guy who who doesn't normally come up here and preach, I was like, oh man, I got to step my game up. Like, if somebody who doesn't normally come up here and does that can do that, then uh, I don't know, I got to figure something out. So Um, Now, most of you probably know by this point, if you've gotten to know me any, uh, you know that I have a deep love for the Old Testament. Like, that's just, that's my jam. I mean, the New New Testament's great, but every time I read it, I'm like, oh, they're quoting that passage from the Old Testament. And then I'm back in the Old Testament again, and I can't seem to find my way out of it. And, uh, And so I just, I love the Old Testament. That's where I love to spend most of my time. And so, uh, having said that, I have never actually preached from the Psalms before. I've been preaching for over a decade and somehow have not found myself in the largest book of the Bible. So I'm actually really excited about this series. I'm really excited to get the opportunity uh, to speak in the Psalms. So uh, getting into it this morning, uh, before coming to South Valley, I had actually been in a position where I found uh, myself where I would, I would frequently get calls to go and fill in at uh, other churches that either their pastor was out of town that week or uh, maybe the church was without a pastor and they were looking. And, uh, and I specifically remember getting a call from a church a few times in Three Rivers. And uh, see, often the norm would be that I would I'd go out to a church, I'd come and preach in the morning, and then when the service concluded, there would be a family or two that would take my family out to lunch, uh, especially if there was an evening service that was going to happen as well, like this church had. And so I had gotten used to, generally speaking, people would want to take me to their favorite restaurant, right? They, they were just like, yeah, let me show you what I love. Uh, that's, that's what people do. And, uh, but I learned very quickly that the people in Three Rivers are a little bit different, right? And so um, I don't know if we've got anybody in here in Three Rivers, but a few of you laugh, so you know. Uh, so, so we had this elderly couple who agreed instead to take us to their home for lunch. And so we got to their house, and we opened the door and walked down into the house. And uh, they ended up having the table and everything set at the base of their staircase, and, and that's where we found ourselves eating surrounded by cat and cowboy paraphernalia. (laughs) And uh, me, being the phenomenal extrovert that I am, had so many things to talk about. It went kind of like, so, you like cats? (laughs) 
and uh, cowboys. And that's all I got, right? Like, that's, that's it. Uh, but, but the point I want to make is have you ever found yourself in a position where you've walked into someone's home and felt like you actually just stepped through a portal into their soul? Like, like now that you've been in their house, you actually feel like you know everything about them, right? Uh, my, my grandma is a woman who has pictures of everyone in the family. So like literally you can go to my grandma's house and you can see the, the line and the history of the family tree on one wall in the house, right? You walk in and you know who this family is. And, and as we look into Psalm 19 this morning, we're going to see that everything that God puts in front of us exists for us to know him more. His creation as a whole is a window into an understanding of who God is. So if you haven't already, you can turn your Bibles to Psalm 19. We're going to be here pretty much all morning. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles with you, we are going to have the passages on the screen here. And so we're going to start Psalm 19 in the first six verses. And so it starts in verse 1. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And in them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So before we ever get to the idea of humanity declaring the glory of God, creation itself has stepped in and is giving God the glory that is due to him. Creation itself has recognized its role in creation and its purpose in creation, and that is to glorify its creator. But what I absolutely love are, are some of the first two lines that we read in here. And we're told first about the day pouring out speech. Literally, the Hebrew there gives you the idea of something like a spring that is gushing forth water, right? Something that just, it doesn't stop. There's, there's abundance that just keeps flowing out of it. But then we turn to the night. And David tells us that the night reveals knowledge, now, this is actually really significant in the mind of an ancient Hebrew like David. So keep in mind that these were people who were not using, nor had they ever heard of the Hubble Space Telescope, right? They, they don't use it like we do. And by we, I mean somebody else, because I have definitely never used it. Uh, but see, in the ancient Hebrew imagination, they believed that we lived on this earth and that there was a dome above called the firmament. Right? When you read through Genesis 1, you see them talking about the firmament. And that, that dome is what would separate us from God's space. Right? So there was, there was people's space and there was God's space. And what they saw is when the night sky came, and they saw all the stars, not knowing that they're big burning balls of gas and all that, right? they would look up and they believed that they were seeing the heavenly beings that dwelt in the presence of God. Now, now, just imagine for a second, right? Like, what if there was no night? For us, take away all of our technology and imagine that every time you looked up to the sky, all you saw was a blue sky and maybe some clouds, but not very often here in the Central Valley, right? 
what would your imagination of space be? Next to nothing, if anything, right? There would be no imagination. But the moment that the night sky takes over, suddenly there's this new revelation. You can see stars. You can see the moon. You can see shooting stars. You can see all sorts of things. It's as if something has been pulled back to reveal something new to you. And especially when you consider how many people in here love going camping? I feel like this is a camping church. Yeah, okay. I had a feeling. So you guys know then, when you go camping, you're like, okay, now we can see the stars, right? So just picture like for the ancient Hebrews, what they must have been seeing before cars and all that kind of stuff was ever created. And so suddenly there's this brand new revelation of what was going on in the space where God himself dwelt, right? This would, now, now if you think for a moment, what if, what if there was just a sky that was a blackness of night, right? There's no stars, there's no moon, there's no nothing. This would have communicated to David and his contemporaries that there was nothing and no one out there. God knew what he was doing in creation. Even when they didn't have the technology that we have now, he knew how to meet them, to communicate through creation, here I am, here I am, right? This, this makes me think of uh, how, how there are just like a ton of different Spider-Man movies at this point, right? Like there's so many, and suddenly it seems like Sony, who owns the right to Spider-Man, they've just decided to kind of lean into this, and so they created this movie uh, called Into the Spider-Verse, right? Have you guys ever heard of, have you guys seen Into the Spider-Verse, right? And, and so uh, basically there's Spider-Man, right? Like there's a Spider-Man, and he is the only Spider-Man until suddenly the fabric of reality is torn, and it turns out that there is a plethora of Spider-Men, right? In all sorts of different universes. And this is what I think of when I think of how God reveals himself and gives knowledge through the night, right? It's, it's as if by the darkening of the sky that God is pulling back a curtain to show us what formerly would have been thought of as an alternate universe showing the magnificence of God in so many ways. See, just, just as the Spider-Verse came in this place where, where you think that there's only one thing, and then suddenly you realize that there's so much more out there. Creation communicates to us in a way that it's so easy that we can just sit here and think that, yeah, we're, we're, we're it. We're it. And yet God pulls back that night sky and says, no, you're not. No, you're not. You have a creator God who loves you, who is for you, who is still building within you and still moving and creating and loving, right? He pulls back almost as if a curtain of creation to show us his deep love and, and desire for relationship with us. See, one of the things that's important for us to consider when reading the Psalms and, and Scripture as a whole is just how hard God is working to reveal himself to us, right? Like sometimes we think we need a moment where, where suddenly the sky is actually ripped back, right? And we can see into the heavens. We see God sitting on his throne and doing all the things that God does. And we're like, ah, yes, now, now I believe, right? Sometimes we think that, like we read the story of Saul in Acts 9, and we think to ourselves, yes, why can't God appear to me in a crazy, awesome way like that? Like Saul is just walking, minding his business, and boom, there's this voice that's like, Saul, I'm God, leave me alone, like stop persecuting my church, right? And we think like, oh man, if God could reveal himself to me like that. But may I remind you, 
that Saul went blind and had like scale stuff fall off his eyes. Like it's not all as chalked up to be. Maybe you don't really want that. But see, the part that I'm trying to communicate is that you don't actually need that kind of a revelation. You don't need it. It's not as if God has never done anything to reveal himself to you. David is literally communicating here that God has and is revealing himself to you, just maybe not the way that you've been expecting him to. All of creation exists to point us to the creator himself. When David speaks of the day gushing forth speech and the night revealing knowledge, he is saying that creation itself is teaching us that there is a creator And it's Yahweh. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the God of the Bible. And it's a God who deeply wants relationship with us. And sure, there there are times that I want God to just show up in front of me super clearly and tell me exactly what he wants from me and what his purpose is for me. Anybody relate to that? Right? But God's plan from the start was for us to be patient and trust him for wisdom. Sometimes we're sitting here wanting God to to jump out in a physical way to tell us our purpose, and God is trying to reveal through all of creation that he is creator and that he has created us with the purpose of eternally worshiping him with all that we have. Sure, there are details in your life that you want specifics on. God, should I take this job? God, should I move to this place? God, sh- should I make this decision, this commitment to this woman or, or to this man? Like, right? We, we have specifics. But what if just for a moment we paused to ask, God, how can I worship you and enjoy the creator God in this moment in the way that fulfills my purpose, right? Instead of getting sucked up in all the details all the time, what if we just stopped to say, God, how can I worship you in this moment while I wait for you to pour out wisdom in your time? And in that way, still fulfill our purpose. And David, he he keeps going through the psalm and we get to the seventh verse and he makes a little bit of a shift here. And he says in verse seven, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. See, at this point, David takes, he makes the shift and he began by noting how creation declares the goodness and the glory of God. But now he's focusing on how scripture reveals the glory and goodness of God. Now, there are actually a few ways that we can understand this, right? When, when we see the word law in the Bible, it probably conjures a few thoughts for us. Like, maybe you think of rules. Maybe you think of the Ten Commandments. Maybe you think about the absurd amount of do's and don'ts in the books of Exodus and Leviticus, right? But see, the, the word law in Hebrew, when he talks about the law of the Lord, he's talking about the Torah, of the Lord, the Torah, right? And this is sometimes used in Hebrew to refer to the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But it it goes deeper than that. It goes further than that. See, law is a decent way of translating the word Torah, but it literally means instruction, right? This is why if we go back and we look at all of the Torah, all of the law in Exodus and Leviticus, 
we never see any historical evidence of them using their laws in court context like we do here today, right? It doesn't happen. In all of history, whether you look in the Bible or whether you look in in just regular secular history at the nation of Israel, it doesn't happen. And that's because the ancient Hebrews understood it to be instruction. But instruction for what? Well, I'm so glad you asked. David is making the same point here that he was making before. Creation declares the creator, but so does the creator. God reveals himself to us through his instructions. So this happens in a few ways. Have you ever been reading your Bible and suddenly you feel like you've just seen God in 3D for the first time? Right? Like anybody who reads through your Bible, you ever had that experience where you're just reading and you're like, Like, what did I just read, right? And you just feel like you have this brand new understanding of the character of God, right? This happens because God actively reveals himself through his word. This is why it's called meditation literature. We're supposed to to repeatedly read and soak in the word for the purpose of knowing God more. God is actively inviting you to read more so that he can intentionally continue to reveal himself to you. And the second way this happens is through God's actual instructions to us on how to live our lives. Right? Let me, let me give you a, a fun example. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 8 says, When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof, that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. Got it? God clearly cares about parapets. That's not the lesson. That's that's not it. Now, see, the idea was that as you built your house, you would build this sort of wall, this barrier around the roof of your house so that no one would fall off of your house and get injured or die, right? Now, remember, think of this as instruction, not law. This means that when I bring the context to my own home, See, I bought a house from a guy who was literally a dirt scientist. I don't know the technical term. You can tell me after service. I will not remember because I have been told the term before. Uh, but, but so things grow really well at my house, like really, really well. And you know how I know this? I know this because of all the weeds on the side of my house that I cannot maintain. Like, no matter what I do, like, I've been told that if you pour, like, gasoline on dirt, things don't grow there anymore. I don't know what this scientist did, but things still grow there, right? Like, there's no stopping it. But see, along with those weeds are are these clover that grow those little stickers that are like these little spheres of thorny death, right? You know what I'm talking about? So here's the lesson from Deuteronomy 22.8. God cares about my neighbor, so I should too right? It's my responsibility to manage the weeds on the side of my house so that as my neighbors walk, they're not bothered by the thorns and they don't have to worry about digging them out of the paws of their pets that they walk. Like, like this is actually seriously how God communicates to us and reveals himself to us. God cares about the people around us and gives us instruction to care for those people. Why? Because that's what it means to be made in the image of God. 
That's what it means to see the people around you as people who are made in the image of God. This, this law, this instruction doesn't just exist to get you to do the right thing. It exists to draw you closer to God, right? As we read through those complicated books like Leviticus and Numbers and read through them thinking, how does this reveal the character of God to me? Because that's what Scripture is there for, to help us know Him more. All of Scripture exists with the purpose of pointing us closer to God and revealing His being to us. And David continues, verses 8 through 10, and he says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Okay, I want, to, I want us to focus in for a second on this very last portion here. See, we're told that all these rules and instructions from God are, are more desired than gold and sweeter than honey. How many of you love reading Leviticus because it just feels so much nicer than having an abundant wealth and it's just so much sweeter than eating honey, right? Okay, me either. That's, that's okay. But see, this is, this is pointing us way back. David is trying to, to pull something out of Scripture for us. When we see any text about gold and jewels and abundance, our minds should immediately remember the garden in Eden because this is the first place in Scripture where we see these descriptive factors. And David goes on and describes how sweet Scripture is. He uses the illustration of honey like the land that God promised to his people. He called it a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a land of abundant goodness. Even today, right, we, we see gold and we know that it's, it's something that, that generally represents wealth and prosperity. There's a certain goodness associated with gold, right? And then there's honey. Even today, when Jewish three-year-olds are learning the Torah, the rabbis will smear honey on the letters of the words for the children to lick off. So that as they grow up learning the Torah of God, they, they associate it with the sweetness of honey, right? And David has this clear understanding of how good the words from God are and how deeply he loves them and wants to pursue them so that he can draw closer to God and know him more. See, here's, here's the challenge I want to give you at this point. I know that many of us try to start doing the Bible in a year reading plan at the beginning of the year and then don't actually complete it, right? Like I won't make you raise your hands, uh, but you can look at the person next to you because it's probably them that didn't complete it, right? So let me give you a different sort of challenge. See, I, I personally, I have gotten myself to a place where, where I am reading a significant amount of scripture every day, but it was not always easy for me, Right? So I want to challenge you by, to set a small goal, right? Set the goal of reading every single day. When I began, I, I said that I was going to read every single day. I'd read at least a chapter, but if, I mean, if the story got really, really good, I could read more than a chapter, right? Because I have to set myself rules like that. And, and so I would just start reading at least a chapter every single day. And this eventually got me in the discipline of regularly reading Scripture 
every single day to the point now that I can sit down and read 10, 13, or more chapters every day in a single setting, right? And so I want to encourage you to simply begin building the discipline of regular Scripture reading. See, the gold and honey, they were significant because when they point to Eden and the promised land, these were the places that humanity encountered God. That's what David's talking about when he's talking about Scripture. He wants us to encounter God, and he knows that we can through the Word. Church, the reason that we work so hard to encourage you to regularly read Scripture is because we know that this is where you'll encounter God. For those of you who are in the small groups that are doing sermon-based discussions, uh, which, by the way, if you are not in a small group, I know a guy who would love to get you plugged into one. It's me. Uh, but, but for those of you that are in these sermon-based discussion small groups, that you know that every single week there is that one question, right? That one question that has you read a very large chunk of Scripture. Let me tell you, this is very intentional. As your pastors, we want you to grow in your ability to consume the Word. See, it's often that maybe we do start reading just like the verse of the day, but we never grow beyond that. And David is making it clear to us just how important it is for us to soak in Scripture. And, and in order to get there, we need to be able to practice reading larger portions of Scripture. And my goal, honestly, is that as you would develop this discipline on your own of reading Scripture, you, you would get to that point in your small group where you're supposed to read the large section of Scripture, and you're like, wait, this isn't as large as I remember it being. Right? Because you've built the discipline. You're now used to reading Scripture. And so here David has clearly shown us how all of creation declares the goodness and glory of God. He's shown us how all of Scripture declares the goodness and glory of God. But there's one fundamental component left. What about us? What about me? Right? Psalm 19, 13, and 14, the last two verses, says, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So let's start with, with verse 13. David comes at this very humbly. He immediately refers to himself as God's servant, right? He's keeping himself in the posture necessary for all the words that he's about to pen. And he then asks God to keep him from presumptuous or arrogant sins. Th this is talking about the stuff in your life that you know that you struggle with, but you try to justify it or, or you've just given up on fighting it. You know it's wrong, but you feel powerless over it. David is still actively communicating with God to ask him to keep him from these sorts of sins. David also asks to be blameless and innocent from transgressions. Here's why this is important. As we've looked at everything else that declares the goodness and glory of God, we know that we have a responsibility to do the same. But what happens when we speak the goodness of God but our actions show the opposite. 
right? I, I personally know people who don't follow Jesus because of Christians in their life. And I would assume you probably know the same. David was very aware of this possible detriment. A descendant of Abraham, he had the call of spreading the blessing all over the world. And David was asking God that it would be far from him that he would accidentally spread the curse rather than the blessing. Where are we in that, church? Are are we so aware of, of our responsibility that we ask God to shape our actions in a way that they would go before our words? David then moves to verse 14, the last verse of the psalm, where he asks God to be in charge of the words that come out of his mouth and the meditations of his heart. My first job was was working at Save Mart here in Lemoore. And though I was a Christian, I often talked about things and joked with coworkers about things that, that, frankly, I knew I shouldn't be a part of as a Christian. And the unfortunate reality is that I felt as if Because of that, I really didn't have the ground to stand on anymore to try and invite anyone to church or to share the news of Jesus with them because I felt like I already blew it. Ironically, my my feeling was that if I was ever going to get into doing full-time ministry like I wanted to, I felt like I was going to have to do it in another city because I'd already blown it in Lemoore. God had different ideas. And I share that with you because I assume that many of you are in a similar position. You've just been casually living your life. And now every single time the Spirit convicts you to get serious about Him, you feel like you can't because you've already set a different precedent. So let me tell you something that you already know. We've all got to start somewhere. We've all got to start somewhere. You don't have to wait for January 1st to turn a new leaf. Today can be the day that you decide to start declaring the goodness of God, the same as creation and scripture. David gave you the cheat code. Ask God to go before you and to direct your actions. Ask God to go before you and to direct your speech. Ask God to go before you and to direct the deepest thoughts of your heart. I want to encourage you today, church, that each one of us is in a place in our walks with Jesus that's different than the person next to you. All God is asking from you today is to take that next step. Right? Maybe, maybe it's salvation. Maybe you've never actually entered into a relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe you were convicted by the baptisms that happened last Sunday. Maybe it's joining a small group or, or serving, or maybe it's just starting to read your Bible and pray. Regardless, I want to encourage you to look to take that next step. Here are some practical ways we can start making those steps. Number one, daily pray the prayer that the Jews call the Shema. This is in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, if you want to write that down. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, and this is what Jesus actually quotes when he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And if you want, you can add on to it just like Jesus did and also pray, 
that God would help you to love your neighbor as yourself. This is, this is legitimately just praying every single day, God, you are the true God. Help me to love you with my heart, with my soul, with my mind, with my strength, and help me to love my neighbor as myself. Let me tell you, you will be blown away what God will be willing to do in and through you if you simply commit to praying that every day. Number two, begin simply reading your Bible every day. David knew that a love for the word was paramount. It was, it was as important as it gets. Even if all you get is a verse, set a goal for reading every day. Build that habit. And then increase the amount of scripture that you read as you go. And number three, ask God to go before you. This is a way that we can love God. We ask him to go before us in speech, action, and thought so that we can grow closer to him and declare his goodness and glory as much as, if not more than, all of creation and scripture. Because church, that's our purpose. That's what we were made for. But to those of you this morning who are in here and, and still exploring this whole Christianity thing, I want to encourage you to recognize that God is using all of creation and scripture and his church to draw you in because he deeply loves you and wants a relationship with you. No matter your past, God is still pursuing you for relationship. He came and died on a cross in your place to have that relationship available to you as a free gift. And so if that's you this morning, I, I want you to know that, that we'll have some people available at the front this morning to pray with you. And I want to encourage you, I realize that is a hard step to take. Today is the day to take that step. Today is the day to see just how loved you are and to step into that love. To give your life over to the creator who made you and wants you and loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine. Would you pray with me this morning, church? God, thank you for, for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for creation. Thank you uh, that, that you would love us so much that you would go so far out of your way to pursue us, to come after us, even in our sin, even in our rebellion, even in the things uh, that we choose to knowingly do wrong against you. You still love us. You still want us. Thank you for Jesus, for the price you paid for us, knowing that you were a just God, and that there is a price to be paid, there is a penalty for sin, for wrong, for rebellion. And rather than calling us to pray, pay a price that we couldn't pay, you paid it for us, Jesus. Thank you for that. And whether we're stepping into relationship for the first time with you today or whether we've been in relationship with you for years, may we all step deeper into that relationship with you, Jesus. Would you draw us closer? Would you reveal yourself to us more through your scripture and creation that we could draw closer to you and learn to love you more today than we did yesterday and more tomorrow than we do today? God, we thank you, we love you, we praise you, and we lay our lives at your feet. And it's in your perfect name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, church. Have a blessed and wonderful week.